Welcome to the Rebel Core Content Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. Jenny, this is a core content podcast. And when you think core content, what topics spring into your mind? Gosh, there's so many. Chest pain, ACS, sepsis, pneumonia. We could probably go on all day. And what about syncope? Oh, yeah, for sure. Syncope, for sure. I can't remember a shift that I have gone through without seeing a single patient with syncope or at least one patient with syncope. And back in podcast 15, we did talk about some of the literature updates around syncope, but I thought today maybe we could get into one of the meaty parts of that diagnosis or of that workup, and that's the ECG. I love it. Let's do it. All right. So as we've mentioned before, syncope is a transient loss of consciousness with spontaneous and complete recovery to pre-event status. The tests that get ordered for a patient with syncope really are going to depend on your history and physical exam. With the exception of the 12-lead ECG, of course, right? Pretty much any patient with syncope should get an ECG. Can we agree on that? I absolutely agree. Now, there is some evidence that the yield of an ECG is pretty low in patients without a significant cardiac history, an unremarkable physical exam, and the absence of risky features in the history But the test is quick, and it's easy, and it's non-invasive, and let's be honest, it costs peanuts. So I think we're going to get this in every single patient with syncope. And even though you're rarely going to find something, you may find something that is going to be life-saving. And and Jenny, sometimes you find something that doesn't just save the life in front of you, but can actually save family members too. Absolutely. So let's get into this. With anyone with syncope, and let's be clear, this also applies to near-syncope patients as well, they're going to get the ECG. That means we're going to be getting a lot of ECGs, so we need to make sure that we've got a structured approach to looking at them. Let's get the easy stuff out of the way first. I'm going to be looking for the frank dysrhythmias, things like atrial fibrillation and ventricular tachycardia. And obviously, patients with those dysrhythmias should have symptoms along with those dysrhythmias, but sometimes they don't. After dysrhythmias, the next thing I'm looking for are signs of ischemia or infarction. Again, if the patient has enough ischemia or infarct to cause syncope because they have global decreased perfusion, I'm really expecting something dramatic on the ECG, not really the subtle stuff. The last of the simple things to look for are the Brady dysrhythmias and the AV blocks. These, again, should be fairly obvious, but sometimes it does require a bit of close scrutiny of that 12-lead. That's the really straightforward stuff, but there are five other less common things we have to be looking out for in the 12 lead. These abnormalities are signals that the patient had a near-death, near-lethal event and has an underlying issue. It's our job to identify these subtle abnormalities. The first is the prolonged QTC. This is the most common of the uncommon abnormalities. It can be the result of medications or electrolyte abnormalities like hypo-K, hypo-mag, and hypocalcemia. It can also be congenital. What happens is that the repolarization is prolonged, allowing for an R on T phenomena, resulting in torsade de point, a form of polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. The episode of torsade results in hypoperfusion and loss of consciousness, but if the heart reverts, the patient has syncope. And so it looks like nothing really happened. They might be totally back to their baseline, but the patient actually died and then kind of came back to life. The normal QTC is about 440 milliseconds in men and 460 in women. And in general, we're going to start getting worried if the QTC is greater than 500. If you see that long QT, you should be scouring the patient's med list for potential causes and checking your electrolytes. It's impossible to remember all the drugs that can cause it, but fortunately, there's a really easy website you can check, qtdrugs.org. If the patient has a long QT and syncope, I'm likely to admit them for further assessment. Even if I can find the drug that's the cause, I need to stop that drug, monitor the ECG, and make sure that there's resolution. 
If I find an electrolyte issue causing the long QT, well, that can be fixed so we can replete that electrolyte. But most of the time, we're still going to keep them in the hospital for monitoring. All right, what's the second uncommon cause? Well, this is sort of like a 1A, and that's the short QT. We often think about the long QT, but we think a lot less about the short QT. It's much less common than the prolonged QT, but if you see a QTC that's less than 350 milliseconds, this is also pretty concerning. It can be seen with hypercalcemia, and there's a congenital form as well. The next cause to think about, so the true number two, not the 1 or 1A, is Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, or WPW. WPW is the result of an accessory pathway between the right atrium and right ventricle that can allow conduction of atrial impulses extremely quickly. The common ECG findings are a short PR interval, less than 120 milliseconds, and a delta wave, which is a slow, slurred rise of the initial portion of the QRS complex. The tricky thing in WPW is that you may only see the PR shortening or only see the delta wave. Or you may only see these findings in some of the leads and not all of them. So this really underscores the importance of looking at every single lead. In a syncope patient where you see WPW, the presumption is that they had a conduction down the accessory pathway with atrial fibrillation, and ultimately they degenerated into VTAC or VFib, leading to sudden death. In patients where you're worried about this, you clearly need to admit, have emergency consultation with cardiology, and put them on telemetry monitoring. This brings us to number three, which is Brugada syndrome. The Brugada ECG pattern is caused by a sodium channelopathy, and patients with it are at risk of developing lethal ventricular dysrhythmias like VTAC or VFib. There are actually three ECG patterns, and instead of trying to describe these in an audio form, we'll just put some images of them in the show notes. It's important to note, though, that only the type 1 pattern is diagnostic of Brugada syndrome. Patients with Brugada syndrome, the ECG signs as well as documented ventricular dysrhythmia, syncope, inducible VT, or family history should also get an EP consultation as they're going to need an AICD to prevent sudden death. All right, Jenny, what's next after, well, we've got QTC prolongation and shortening, we've got WPW, we've got Brugada. What's our number four? Number four is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Hokum is characterized on ECG as left ventricular hypertrophy along with deep narrow Q waves prominently seen in the lateral leads. You hear these referred to sometimes as the the dagger-like Q waves. The classic case you hear about is the young athlete with exertional syncope. And people from my generation, and Jenny, I know that we're not that far apart in age, but from our generation, kind of remember Hank Gathers, who was a college basketball player who dropped dead on the court, and Mm -hmm. it was thought to be because of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Exertional syncope should always scare you and make you think about this as well as the other diagnoses as well. Though the ECG is suggestive of the disorder, the diagnosis is going to be made by echo. If the patient is stable, you should consider expedited outpatient management, but I'd be really careful with this one. The patient has to avoid exertion until they see the cardiologist and get that echo. So you've got to be 100% sure that they're going to avoid exertion, but also that they can see a cardiologist in a day or two. The couple of times that I've caught this, I've consulted cardiology, and they usually just ask me to admit the patient so they can get all of that workup wrapped up quickly. Yeah, that's happened for me too. So that brings us to our final abnormality, arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, or more commonly called arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, or ARVC. This is an inherited autosomal dominant trait that's believed to be the second most common cause of sudden death in young people after hokum. I haven't seen this one in real life. What about you, Swami? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I'm always looking for it. On ECG, the classic findings are an epsilon wave, a small positive deflection buried in the end of the QRS, and T-wave inversions in leads V1 to 3. 
The T-wave inversions are the most sensitive, but the epsilon wave is the most specific. And again, this makes the diagnosis kind of tricky. Treatment of AVRC may start with beta blockers, but often will require an AICD, particularly if the patient has high-risk features. Again, emergency consultation with a cardiologist or EP is indicated. So Jenny, that's a bit of a list, but I think it's really important that we nail this every single time we see an ECG with syncope, have a structured approach and go through all of these things. How about a little wrap up before we go for this week? Of course. First, all patients with syncope or near syncope should get an ECG. Start by looking for overt dysrhythmias like atrial fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia. Next, look for signs of ischemia or infarction. After that, look for the Brady dysrhythmias and AV blocks. And last, scan the ECG for the scary causes of syncope, including QTC prolongation, short QTC, Wolf-Parkinson-White, Brugada, Hokum, and arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Last, if you find any of these things, consult cardiology and strongly consider admission to get these fatal causes worked up and under control. All right, that's all for the Rebel Core Content Podcast this week. Jenny and I will be back in two weeks for another cast. If you want to check out more from Rebel EM, hop on over to the site at rebelem.com for all of our posts from our amazing team. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>